0: Right now, get up to 60% off your Babbel subscription at Babbel.com slash BlueWire. That's 60% off at Babbel.com slash BlueWire, spelled B-A-B-B-E-L dot com slash BlueWire. Rules and restrictions apply.
1: We've got the latest on Bryce Harper, Ronald Acuna, and of course, Jordan Alvarez. We're going to be talking about trades that you must make now, and of course, the forecaster. My guest today is Tristan Cockroft from ESPN coming up next everybody welcome to the rotowire fantasy baseball podcast i'm jeff erickson here with tristan cockcroft uh from espn you can follow him on twitter at sultan of stat uh he's been going by that for a really long time. I remember uh, Tristan back at first pitch Arizona, you and I shared a panel and uh, I I, I made a little joke about, I'm guessing stat there. I was told there'd be no stats, uh, but I was the wrong person to have up there for that.
2: If it's in the nickname, you had to know what was coming. Come on.
1: (laughs) We've had a few of them
2: over the years. It's, it's always enjoyable. It's good to get to chat with you again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So, Right thick in the middle of the baseball season, about the midpoint of the season right now. Some teams are almost at 81 games. Some are a couple short here and there. Uh, we're seeing uh, like Cleveland and Minnesota playing a five-game series, Tampa and Toronto playing a five-game series. Uh, it, it's just it's a really busy time, and we're seeing a lot of big, critical def- uh, like divisional matchups now, too.
2: We definitely are. And we're seeing a, a greater volume of those makeup games. July. So busy with them yep. mainly because of those divisional contests. So yeah, I, I expect it, You feel like the all-star breaks up coming in two. What is it? Two or no, I think it's three weeks. Cause it's pushed yep. back uh, a little bit of a break. there, surrounded by a lot of zaniness.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be a flurry of activity. Unfortunately, we had a flurry of injuries uh, yesterday. Jordan Alvarez and Jeremy Pena collided on a pop-up uh, pop-up looked really ugly. Uh, Both are out of the lineup today. We're waiting to find out if they have concussions, but the immediate like react uh, exam uh, sounded like it was better off than it looked.
2: Yeah, and- (laughs) My, my fingers are crossed here that this is simply a day-to-day thing. I mean, any time you get into the whole concussion protocol, you have the worry of a, the seven-day placement and does that extend? I remember, I think Tyler mm-hmm. Stevenson was a notable name from earlier in the season who missed a decent chunk of time from that. Uh, yeah. I, I hope I hope the early reports are positive because you don't want to lose a guy, especially Jordan Alvarez. Alvarez is having just an incredible season Pena has been one of the most surprising rookies. We do not want to see these two players miss any sort of extended time.
1: Right. Uh, and you know, I have Alvarez on a critical team, couple critical teams watching that. Uh, and you know, Pena is in a fun story because they let Car- Carlos Correa walk. I mean, they, they didn't really even try to bring him back at all. They, they felt pretty confident on Pena. They were able to replace him and Pena stepped in right away. He had his own injury for a while earlier. Uh, if you're drafting now if you're putting a value on him now where does he grade among shortstops
2: probably still in the middle infield class for me and mm-hmm. for, for me one of the challenges on the ranks is just the the growing divide of league formats so sure. my primary ranks that go up on the site now are, are points based and there's some significant differences. So y- you can, with the nuances go up as high as 8th i I'd say at the position for me, he feels like that locked in weekly, no doubt about it. Middle infielder, not a guy who's that, that definitive top 10, but has earned the place in all fantasy leagues. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that he's been so good defensively that keeps him in the lineup. He's batting second right now while Michael Brantley's out. Well, whenever right. Pena is healthy, he's been batting second. That is a, a big positive sign uh, for Houston. Absolutely. Uh, I'm glad you
1: brought up, though, like what your rankings are for these days, because I mean, you and I, we've been doing this for a really long time. I, I'm not going to, you know, throw out your age under the bus or anything, but you're 25,
2: almost- 25. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Uh, but Todd Zoll and I have discussed this concept that the way fancy baseball is being played now more frequently isn't how we grew up playing it. You know, points based leagues, head to head leagues. They're very prevalent. They're, they're like the big thing. And I know on ESPN.com, I think they're, they're the, the biggest format for people now.
2: They are at this point, yes. If you combine the seasonal points and the head-to-head points, yes, they've taken the lead in that. Uh, I know it's about a, a one-third divide between each of them, the head-to-heads, the points, and then the traditional Roto. But that tells you a lot because, mm-hmm. I mean, you and I grew up with rotisserie baseball, and that was it. And right. we, we even... I'm sure, I played in a few of these. I'm sure you did the four by four leagues. We didn't even have the I still categories,
1: do. by the way. I still my my original league is an old school ale only four by four. It's the one that started RotoWire, uh, news back in the day. Peter Shanky's still in it. Uh, founder, RotoWire co-founder Herb Ilk is still in it. Uh, it and uh, Ken Kreitz, another one of a uh, RotoWire guy. He's still you know it's it's all the OGs are still in the league too. That's the best part about that. There we've been going for over 20 years and. It's AL only 4 by 4 but we grandfathered in the, the Brewers because they were in the American League at the time. So uh, it's it's a great league. Uh, but, yeah, it, it's a completely different. You know, it was weird when we started doing mixed leagues, let alone mixed league points and head-to-head. But, you know, this it was always ale only, one week, and only. You know, you, we'd wait for the USA Todays that come out on Tuesday and Wednesday, respectively, to help to do our hand scoring and all that. But uh, it's what it's And point scoring is different. I mean – Point strategy is a lot different. I mean, you know, you don't have to chase the saves necessarily. You don't have to, you know, walks actually are a good thing. You actually get credit for those walks.
2: Indeed, yeah, and I think that's the big thing is walks were really in the original formula, and I, I love how you bring up the Tuesday. I think it was the Tuesday for the AL and the Wednesday for the NL. USA Today mm-hmm. reports there. So, yeah, you know, being twenty-five, I don't remember this at all, but I totally right, remember right, right. It. Yes, <laughs> totally, totally remember it. You had uh, someone so,
1: tell you about it. That's right.
2: That's right. Yes, it was. It was my dad. Yes. Uh, yeah, it was. It was, you know, then then manually scoring some leagues. I remember that at the time. That was that was uh fun as well. But yeah, the. I think that walks really changed things a lot when people got that understanding that getting on base was huge and the avoidance of outs was huge. I, I, personally, you know, Jeff, from what I talk about a lot with pitching this debate about what exactly makes a good pitcher. I've had to make this crusade for innings pitch being supremely important for pitchers. And I always get that argument about, yeah, oh, the guys like Brad Redkey, get a 4.75 ERA and throw a ton of innings. And it doesn't matter. The more we go forward, the more pitching gets specialized, the more innings pitched matter. So we've learned a lot from that. And that, I think, is a lot of the reason for points leagues being so important is that it does give a weight to that particular category.
1: Yeah, it had to warm the cockles of your heart to see not one, but two complete games this week. Chad Cool of all pitchers, the complete game shutout against the Dodgers, and then Sandy Alcantara last night. Sandy, he, he's he's a
2: throwback. He certainly is. Man, that guy's just been... Dominant over the past month plus, and and I think it's not just the the exceedingly strong performances on a per batter basis. Yeah, as you said, he's going deep into games. I mean, the fact that he completed that game, and sure, you could say it's a little bit because Miami doesn't trust its bullpen. But right, I I had I had this very debate with my brother. I've mentioned Brostad on our you know many times over the years about El Contra, and I remember saying at <laughs> like the beginning of the year, this guy has it to be a top ten fantasy starting pitcher. I won't put him in there in my rankings. I should have. I was yeah. way, way too hesitant, way too conservative on the ranking. I should have gone too. with my gut that Sandy was this kind of pitcher because he's got that ability.
1: Well, my number, I, you know, I, I do projections, and my number suggested he wasn't a top three-round pitcher. that He was overdrafted. So I, I have him, like, in the XFL that you're in with me, uh, uh, but that's because I've had him. I, or I think maybe we did – excuse me. Uh, Bless you. Thank you. Um, uh, that we, you know, I think I, or we did the, au- maybe it was even in the auction, but the you know, point being is that it was before my projections were even done. Um, but, uh, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, I, I had this conversation five years ago, my good, um, my good friend and former roommate, Mark McCann, he's a big baseball fan, not in the industry at all, but we were talking about Justin Verlander being the active leader in complete games. And he is like nowhere near in the all-time leaders in complete games. It's not, it's not even close. We have to project complete games is one of the stats I have to do for Rotowire. And you start going through and you're like, Oh, zero, 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 zero for like years on end. And you know, you're like, okay, is is it just this mansion? No, it's every team.
3: Yeah.
2: Yeah. And, and, and imagine if, you know, I'm, I'm sure you also project shutouts. Shutouts yep. are very hard to project as well because how many are you going to get individual for the year? We deal with this with the ESPN projections all the time. Yeah. Todd Zola having a heavy hand in that. He'll tell you as well that it's it's almost impossible to do, and uh, the the biggest points league that I have uses both of those and they weight them pretty heavily. If you get a complete game end or a shutout, you get a lot of bonus points. Right, and people who just pull any old projections might be giving a little bit too much weight. It's why I have to do an awful lot of more skills grades than actual projection grades when I do my rankings for that.
1: Yeah, well, and there's not a whole lot of rhyme or reason. I'm, I've got baseball reference up right now at the leaders, leaderboard. There are six shutouts this year. Reed Detmers, Martin yeah. Perez, Michael Walker, Walker Bueller, Hunter Green, and that was with an asterisk because that was a range-shortened game, and Chad Cool. There are six. Yeah, what projection system is going to give you those names? None.
2: Yeah, yeah. And the other is that people are going to think of green for the no-hitter that wasn't, and that wasn't right. a complete game for that very right. reason. Yeah. The Dedmers one was the no-hitter, and he's in the minors now.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> he, he's, he was, in fact, since that start, he's been awful. Yeah. Uh, and it might be a correlation because they did ask him to do a lot that day.
2: Yeah, that's the other. We've seen a lot of pitchers over the past 10, 15 years not used to going beyond 110 pitches in an outing. Even going as far as far back as Johan Santana's Mets game, and they paid a price over their next couple of starts. And in Detmer's case, it it resulted in a demotion.
1: Yeah, yeah, and you know it was the right decision. We've seen that before. I mean, we've seen some. You know, I, I who is the uh, White Sox pitcher with the perfect game? Uh, Phil Humber. Yeah, Phil Humber. <laughs> I mean. What did he do after the rest of his career? Nothing. Yeah, I
2: mean, nothing. The,
1: the perfect game didn't cause him to do that. It's just he just had his day. But you do see pitchers that are asked to do too much. Everybody argues Johan Santana did too much, you know, threw too many pitches in his no hitter. The actual research, after, you know, that the research actually showed he was fine like the next couple of starts after that too. But, you know, it might have still had a long-term effect. Dave Roberts has caught all sorts of flack for pulling guys too soon in, in situations like that. But – yeah, then again, maybe it was the right call. Then again, Clayton Kershaw still got hurt anyhow. So I don't know. Maybe, yeah. maybe they were right. Uh, you know, it's we, we do a really bad job of trying to figure out what protects pitchers.
2: Yeah, and I mean the Kershaw one. I, I I mean how quickly we forget how up in arms everybody was about that. And as you mentioned, yeah, went on the injured list anyway. We we really can't say there's any rhyme or reason to pitching usage patterns and in injuries. I mean, yeah, there there are. There are some historical ones, but at least in the modern day, it's very difficult to pinpoint.
1: Yeah, it is. It is. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll see with that. But yeah, in that game, uh, we saw that uh, yeah, we, we saw a blown save from the Cardinals. It took a blown save for El uh, to get that, get the W in that one. There, Ryan Helsley's been nothing short of amazing, but he didn't have it last night, uh, pitching on back-to-back days. And that's one of the things about the Cardinals is they. they been managing their bullpen a little differently. It's not like they have a declared pure closer with Helsley. He's been the guy that's taken more saves than, than others lately, but they haven't had this outright. I am a closer. You are the closer sort of declaration.
2: Yeah. And the Cardinals were an interesting story coming into the year just because of the managerial change. I mean, Mike Schild yeah. kind of went with one guy for the most part. He did make some switches during the year when Alex Reyes, for example, last year, a great start didn't finish. Well, went to Giovanni mm-hmm. Gallegos. Uh, under Oliver Marmol, however, they they did make a couple of changes. I talked a little about the lineup in the preseason. Tommy Edmond batted the bottom of this lineup, and now he's one of the best players oh, yeah. in all of fantasy baseball back at the leadoff spot. But the closer role, Marmol hinted he wanted to go with a committee to close. And then he ended up going largely with one guy. And over the past three to four weeks, it's looked a little bit like a partnership, but yeah. Hensley's still getting the more premium Opportunities. I agree with you that the fact that this came on short rest probably explains some of the performance. Helsley has been amazing otherwise. It's almost as if criticizing him in the National League would be like criticizing Clay Holmes' two shaky outings over the past week plus. Because I don't think either of them really deserved too much heat for them. I'm still a big believer in the guy. I think Helsley is one of the biggest breakthrough relief pitchers of 2022.
1: Yeah. I, it's funny. You were going to, yeah, I was going to mention Holmes next. Uh in fact, Holmes was the impetus for us getting in contact with each other. And right? we were talking about that. You had a great uh, tw- uh, Twitter thread on Clay Holmes, not getting the win in that uh, outing against the uh Rays where he didn't pitch that badly at all, but it did yeah. allow an inherited runner to score in on one of his own. The official score gave the win wanted uh to uh, Peralta the fo- who pitched the following inning didn't give anybody a save instead um, and yeah that, that spurred a thread I mean and, and the thing is Holmes gave up a, a ball that went down the ho- uh, a ground ball that went down the first base line turned into a double uh and then a sack fly and an infield single that didn't go more than like 60 feet you know if that
2: it's, yeah Dink <laughs> yeah. and, and dunk
1: yeah exit velocity of 12 uh I think you no know. but uh you know No, can't give that a win. Can't we, it was a weird time to to take that stand. I don't mind official scorers taking stands and dying on the hill, but that was a weird hill to die
2: on. It was, and it it just kind of underscored the inconsistency. I don't have a problem with following the rule as it's written in the rule book, but Mm -hmm. we need to strengthen that and make it consistent so that people who are watching the game, the people who love their live scoring and fantasy as I do, and I'm sure you do, Jeff, we do not want to have some uncertainty. And I, did notice that after that, almost all of the news reports about it had credited Holmes the win yep. and Peralta the save. Mm-hmm. Some of them didn't even change it subsequently, which is odd. So you go back and you check your live scoring, as I did, having Holmes in a in that points league I mentioned. Yeah, okay. So it I, you know so I I I got a negative score because he didn't pick up a cheap win. Not that big a deal, but it's noticed, and then it becomes a discussion point. And this raised the question for me, and I wrote about this in a column last week about dealing with the win category and whether we should change it based on adjusting the rule for major league baseball. And I think that that's the direction we should go. We should come up with a, a greater standard for official scorers to hand out wins in games and yeah. make sure that it's followed consistently. <laughs> if it requires a formula, so be it.
1: And then while we're at it, we can fix saves and holds too, while we're at it, because those are horrible holds by the way. So I understand it's how it works. One of our leagues, we added saves plus holds instead of saves. I like the, the reasoning for trying to add more relievers to the pool, not have to, you know, the Giovanni Gallegoses of the world don't get hurt as badly by a manager on whim on, win on which inning. However, my problem, and I, I've, I've argued this on the, the Tout Wars exec committee before, is holds are a terrible stat. They're just, yeah. they're, they're really an awful, terrible stat. Clay Link and I were talking about a serious XM today. Just, you can pitch awfully just terribly and get a hold as long as you didn't give up the actual lead. Uh, and it, it's just an awful, awful stat. I hate it.
2: It It's inconsistent in the rules as well. There was once a time where you didn't have to record an out to get a, a hold. Yep. I remember and I that a major issue with that. And the other is there's a debate among scoring sites or, or official scorers that if you come in at a game before the fifth inning and the starter was out, so you're eligible for the win. You're not eligible eligible for the hold. And there are other scores who believe that that pitcher should be. There was a Yankee playoff game, in fact, where this happened. Yeah. Uh, David Robertson, I think, he'd come in either the third or the fourth. And he was awarded a hold by one and not by another. And so long as we have that inconsistency, I yeah, I agree with you. I do have a problem with the stat on the hold.
1: Yeah. So... Uh... Anyways, I mean, there's so many different ways to do things, and you, you you've been, we've been talking about to revamp wins in that same league, and we, this is kind of a little experimental. Uh, we, we replaced wins with innings pitched. Uh, so your Brad Radke example to go full circle on that. Um, hey, you get a guy that goes seven innings. That that's that's doing something right now. Um, it's actually pretty important to find a starter does, and what that does is it gets you to come to getting the starter instead of trying to find a primary reliever behind an opener or you know, go Ryan Yarbrough on the league. You want to find the guys that actually are doing a lot of good for their specific team.
2: Yeah, it also, to me, it enhances a lot of the middle relievers who would have no value otherwise in fantasy. I'm loving the fact that we have to find those two and three. You mentioned the followers, but even the guys who are like Garrett Whitlock at the beginning of the year, Maybe, maybe Garrett Whitlock next week when he comes back as a reliever, giving you two, three innings and stealing those cheap wins. Well, if you don't count wins, you're going to get the two or three innings pitched. That makes a big impact.
1: I mean, Garrett Whitlock could probably switch roles two or three more times. The season's still only halfway through. Uh, yeah. You know, he was a projection nightmare this year. Is he going to start? Is he going to close? Is he going to be at the same role as he had last year? And the answer is yes. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's all of them.
2: Yep. And we probably haven't seen his final shifted role in 2022. <laughs>
1: yeah. He's such a good pitcher, though.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It's a shame he got away as a Roll Five pick for a certain team that I, 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 yeah. Hear a <laughs> Yeah,
1: to to your arch rival, yeah, I mean, that that's wild. But you know, hey, we're so loaded that we can't even find a space for Garrett Whitlock. I guess that's yep. the argument. Um,
2: Yankees have been very good, by the way, at developing out of nowhere guys in double A ball pitching yeah. guys. Well, they and bench. sometimes
1: they develop, let them go, and then they come back, like uh, Nasty Nestor.
2: Yeah, Nasty Nestor, one of the big breakthroughs of the. I he's amazing how he can paint the corners. I just yeah, I, constantly impressed.
1: I mean the, the Os could have had him they could have mm-hmm. you know you know the, the the Mariners too it's kind of like the Carlos Rodon story the year a year before where the White Sox they designated Carlos Rodon for assignment he was a free agent for a while they actually anybody could have signed him yeah uh, and they came back to the fold instead and then had the big year and then the White Sox screwed up again by not offering him at least a uh you know a, a, a qualifying offer there could have gotten something for him instead they yeah. did they were afraid they'd accept because God forbid the White Sox have Carlos Rodon this year. They, that would have been terrible.
2: Yeah. They were too worried about the sluggish finish and the injuries at the end of the year, but they should have seen it coming. They, they paced them out pretty darn well, in my estimation. The fact they had them at all in October was something. And yes, that was a big gaffe on their part.
1: Yeah. Massive. Um, and teams, you know, it's, it's funny. We have, you know, some form of sabermetrics in every, almost every front office, but some have a louder voice than others. Some are better at it and employing it than others. Mistakes. There's still areas where teams can make mistakes like that.
2: Indeed, yeah, I you know occasionally even the good teams let the good player get away. Yeah, Whitlock, Whitlock being a good example of any as uh, at least lately for the Yanks.
1: Or look at the Dodgers. (laughs) They they traded Jordan Alvarez and O'Neill Cruz for relievers, Uh, Tony Watson. I think uh, was one and uh, for was the the O'Neill Cruz deal, and then Alvarez was for another major uh, Josh Fields.
2: Oh, right. Whew. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, hey, hey, that's a very smart organization. Now, that was like in 2017 and 2016, I want to say, respectively. So, I mean, these, these are sins of a, a long time ago in baseball terms. But still, you can see that they could have been that much better. Uh, I always love seeing stuff like that, that even like the very best teams make some really bad mistakes uh, from time to time. Uh, we, we've seen some big-time prospects get called up. Uh, Joel Henard mentions Vinny Pasquantino. Uh, he's getting the call, I'm waiting for him to do some stuff now. I uh, did draw two walks yesterday. Uh, looking at him compared to other first basemen for the rest of the season, where, do you, where are you on him?
2: So he's an interesting project because, for our game's purposes, the ESPN game. I like him better than I do elsewhere, where you have to lock him in for the weeklies. You and I, Jeff, we know from our long-term experience, we play a lot more weekly locks and speculating on over the long haul. In ESPN, you can manipulate the daily lineups. Pasquantino falls into being best exploited that way. I think for a ranking purpose, he's a mid to low end quarter infielder, relevant everywhere, but, had a platoon split in the minors. It was pretty noticeable. It was somewhere in the range of 150 points of OPS. So I'm concerned about that. Kansas city, not the best ballpark for power. So initially I'm a little bit worried whether that reins in some of the home runs, Mm -hmm. uh, he does have great upside. His power is immense. He's an extreme fly ball hitter. I like that, but I, I think probably he's in the 15 to 20 ranking number from a, from just a general perspective.
1: In a lot of leagues, this is a big fab period. He's going to be available for the first time. For instance, the NFPC format, Uh, you know, in a thousand dollar fab budget time, he's going to go triple digits. He's probably going to go at least 10% of people's fab budget, maybe, maybe up upwards of 20 in some leagues. Uh, How aggressive would you be in those formats?
2: Probably reasonably, reasonably <coughs> aggressive, but not enough to get the player, which unfortunately mm. is one of my big pitfalls. I, I tend to make calls on players where I just don't go aggressively enough. And then later on, I don't like what else is out there and feel like I wish I went back and threw an extra oh, yeah. 50 to 100. So I admit that straight out. We all make mistakes. Um I, I do think he's somewhere in the range of a 150 to 200 range bid if I was to throw something out there, mainly because in a league that's at least 15 teams deep and has aggressive managers that's competitive top to bottom from those one to 15, I don't think you're going to find much better out there. So a guy that you can can lock into a designed role where in the best case scenario, he gives you 20, 25 home runs. Pasquantino yeah. could do that. I don't, I'm not going to project it, but he could do that. I
1: used to have a problem burning my fab too quickly. I remember the, the infamous fab uh, a few years ago where we had like six prospects called up all in the same week. I got Austin Riley and Nikki Lopez in that week, and one of these was not like the others. And even Austin Riley really wasn't like Austin Riley. He was great for a month and a half, and then he was not so great. Uh, so I almost feel like I've been paying the sins of that the last couple of years. I've been more circumspect in my bidding. But I'll tell you, I I regret not going the extra dollar on Riley Green this year. Uh, That same league where I had a chance on him, I lost Harper, like, just obviously just last weekend. And, boy, he would have come in handy. Instead, you know, I've got Tyrone Taylor. We'll see how far that gets me. But uh, it's not not the same. Uh, I I, I wish I was a little bit more aggressive.
2: Yeah, and I I mean, it sort of backs you and I in doing the strategy to taking the players that get traded cross league. And if you're in a mixed league, there's not that opportunity. So right. that's another thing to keep in mind is that in the mixed leagues, yeah, a lot of very good and productive players come across the free agent le- free agency list. I even watch in Tout and Eric Carbell's mixed league, so mm-hmm. I, I hear about a lot of those pickups. I see some of the names that get picked up. They're very good players. They're certainly better than the ones that I'm seeing in the NL only, but even <laughs> then you need to go for guys with big ceilings there and you need to get aggressive when that happens. Cause there just isn't anything midseason. Some season there've been years where I've seen just nobody come through. who's really worth that two fifty plus out of a, out of a, a thousand fab bit.
1: Yeah. I mean, that's why in tout, at least with you're an NL, I'm an AL. Uh, you can speculate on prospects getting the call before they get the call, but you're starting to, I, I'm even noticing that markets dr- uh, dried up quite a bit that, people are doing a better job with stashing them in reserves at the start of the season. And, you know, they're, they're getting them earlier and earlier. Chris list always used to do that. He got Carlos Correa before his pickup, like two weeks before his pickup for a buck instead of, you know, chasing the hundred dollar fab bid or $250 fab bid. Uh, And that's it's. So now that's commonplace. People do that all the time. And, you know, there were others that did. I just remember list famously doing that with Correa and uh, that worked out so well for him that year. Um,
2: I had two of them myself, and Kyle Hendricks and Kyle Schwarber, which tells you how far back it's been since it was able to do that.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, Kyle Hendricks goes tonight. The wind's blowing out against the Reds. Uh, Kyle Hendricks is all over the place. One, you know, it's not necessarily based on opponent. He dominated the Cardinals last time out, but he got crushed by the Reds earlier. I mean, it's just I I don't know Kyle Hendricks anymore. I used to used to be like my uh, like warm fuzzy blanket. I'd always draft Kyle Hendricks, and now I
2: don't know what to do with him. He was the guy who'd finished 25th to 27th, almost on the nose among starting pitchers at the end of the year for four or five years straight, and now I'm with you. I just don't know what to make of the guy. Not a matchups option, doesn't have any sort of dominating stuff so you can throw him in there when he's playing like a strikeout heavy offense. Right. I, I find that immensely frustrating. I don't he's even He's been caught a few of my leagues, too.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've seen him dropped in a couple of leagues, and I, I other people are throwing their hands in the air, too. I mean, it's just one of those where it's, it's just – I'll let you figure it out. Uh, That'll be your problem.
2: Uh, He actually, he actually got cut in my points league (laughs) and another guy picked him up, got a great start from him there. And then had like two after that, they were just, they just obliterated his score. And I believe that one good start, they had him on his bench. Of course. Uh, Of course. So you
1: get the uh, whipsaw. It's just the worst. Absolutely. The worst. Uh, We're going to take a quick five second break to insert some ads here from our good friends on the blue wire network. Please bear with us. Thank you very much for your indulgence. I'm Jeff Erickson. My guest here is Tristan Cockrell from ESPN. You can follow Tristan on Twitter at Sultan of SWAT. His baby still is the forecaster. And that comes out Friday, right?
2: That's Friday. Yes, every Friday. And uh, in addition to that, it's updated throughout the weekend. Each day I go in and put in an update to it. Uh, The other neat tweak we added a couple of years ago to this was Uh, We project out the next 10 days worth of starting pitchers, a a similar thing to what Rotowire does, but it uses the forecaster's projections formula. So you can see if you need to plan out as far as 10 days down the road, what exactly we're projecting that far out.
1: Nice. That's awesome. Uh, And, you know, you created, you created this. How long ago did you start this up? Because I know you've been doing this for a while.
2: So, so the column, I I first wrote this in 2001. So it would be my 22nd year writing this column. Um, Wow. Yeah, which it, it's a labor of love. This is my it's actually my favorite thing to write is the, the fantasy baseball forecaster um, in its current uh, form. I've been doing that about eight to 10 years where we've had the projections. We made a shift this year to address points leagues. So we actually have a fantasy point total that we provide this season and the rankings nice. go based on that.
1: Very cool. That's awesome. Um, and you started this way back. You used to write, I think, did you start at CBS or did you start
2: b- somewhere else before that? I actually, I started at Bill Mazeroski's baseball, of the magazine. Oh, wow. Yeah. Where's Remember the, the big oversized one? Yes, 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 yes. Got of a course. couple of them up there on the shelf.
0: <laughs> That's awesome.
2: Yeah. Yep. That was a classic one when they added the fantasy baseball section. My first, uh, first piece that I wrote for fantasy baseball was, uh, splitting with a good friend of mine to, to do, we did one AL, one NL and uh did the fantasy section it was like a 24 pager
1: how'd you hook up with them how did they how did
2: they discover you more than i discovered them um i i was the art director for that magazine so I, i i was actually not a a journalism major. This is the, the funny career story for me is that I I was a graphic design student. So I was the art director who just loved playing fantasy baseball and who studied effectively, not an official minor in journalism, but had studied alongside a lot of uh, good friends of mine in college, took a couple of extra courses for that, and then transitioned into writing while I was at Bill Mazeroski's baseball.
1: You know, so many people have careers like that. They start as one thing, and then especially in art in art. Our- in our, our industry, it's especially true because let's face it, there is no direct major to this. You know, it's like, we all stumble upon it one way or another, you know, I was poli-sci major or law school, you know, got my law degree and then decided I didn't want to be an attorney. Uh, And got lucky, had another career that kind of leaked into this and, you know, things took off, but man, it's, you almost uniformly, you know, very people, very few people have this as their first job.
2: Yeah. It's not like there's a fantasy baseball 101, the actual class. You see the stories like that, but imagine if we went through an entire college career where it was just the fantasy baseball major.
1: Oh my gosh. (laughs)
2: Life isn't that perfect people. No, I'm sorry. Don't expect that. You got to work hard for this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely.
2: Take chances. That's always the biggest advice I have. You got to take big chances.
1: Yeah. Believe in yourself and take chances. And luckily, you know, when I took the chance, I didn't have a family, didn't have a mortgage. You know, I could. I you know weren't you know it was less at risk. I also just didn't have a, a really long career either. It wasn't was uh, you know yes I had I, I had an expensive degree, but I didn't have uh, you know an expen you know I didn't have a lucrative job. I didn't have like that long uh, you know tenure to give up. I just did it instead, so that helped out quite a bit.
2: For me, I took a lot of my my spare time to do the writing. It was like the second job on top of the first one. So mm-hmm. yeah, you're, you're sacrificing sleep then. So there oh, are yeah. things you do give up. Often it's decent pay that that pays the bills, and a lot of times it's sleep.
1: <laughs> yeah, a lot of sweat capital. A lot, you know, it, you know. Hey, didn't have a girlfriend, huh? Well, geez, shocker <laughs> there, but uh, it worked out pretty well. So that was that was good. Uh, let's talk about, uh, and we could go down memory lane forever, but I don't think everybody really wants to hear that right now. So, uh, let's, uh, just keep rolling with some of the other, uh, things I want to talk about a couple other things, uh, going on in baseball right now. Um, a couple other topics. One is, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about, uh, some trades and just trading in general. You just came out with an article on ESPN on, uh, ESPN plus, uh, about trades that need to happen that you need to make happen in your league. And you highlighted Corey Seager. Tell me more.
2: Yeah, I'm, I am I constantly support this guy, Corey Seager, just based on the metrics. And perhaps I'm getting into the trap, as a lot of us do, that we, we fall in love with these stat cast metrics. Mm-hmm. But Corey Seager has been a headache for fantasy managers for years due to the injuries. But in between those, he has put up some pretty gosh darn dominant stretches. Mm-hmm. And he often saves them for the heat of the pennant race. And yeah, you could point out the Rangers aren't likely to be in the pennant race this season. But I, I wonder whether it has something to do with him just kind of getting up to full speed, needing to ramp up and delivers his best once he gets into a rhythm around mid-July, August. If you look at yeah. the numbers he's had, he's had MVP caliber numbers from August 1st in each of the past three seasons. He was, he was the best player in all of baseball in the 2020 postseason. I yeah. mean, if you watch him play there, he was pretty extraordinary. And I feel like now that he's getting adapted to the American League, I think it is about time for him to take off.
1: Yeah. And the thing is, he was a tough guy to value coming in this year, changing teams, big contract. I can hear Glenn and Rick in the ears don't chase the big contract. Uh, but he also doesn't run. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I know, I all I, if you're not in points leagues, if you're in a roto style league, that whole conversation was predominant during draft season. What do you, you know, where are you going to get your steals? How, is, what's your approach with that? How much do you devalue the top guys that don't run? Uh, especially if you play in an overall contest league. Uh, where it matters a lot more, you can't just punt it down the road. So he's been a tough guy to value. He's been tough to value. Marcus Semien got off to such a horrible start; he's hitting better now, but just a very interesting team all around. But you know, Seager now, you know, it's a good time to go target that.
2: Definitely is, yeah, and and yeah, you're right to your point. The fact that he doesn't steal works against him. One of the things I do like about him is that I think there's a lot of batting average growth to be had. So Mm -hmm. even in the Roto Leagues, he can contribute there. If you've already built yourself a strong stable of speedsters, it's a little bit easier to make a deal for that. And in Seager's case, because he falls kind of that in-between, he kind of falls in that in-between tier, most people, myself included, don't really regard him as a locked-in top 25 overall capable player. I think he could get there. I don't think likely he belongs there. Agreed. But often you see him drop back to roughly a hundred in people's rankings. And I think in those formats, those are the ones where I'm going to be targeting him. I think he's a guy guy who's clearly capable of top 50 numbers across the board from this point.
1: Yeah. The Rangers are interesting. Semyon's now batting third for them. Adelis Garcia is having himself a much better fantasy season than real life season at the plate. You know, 290 OBP can only go so far in terms of helping in real life, but I mean the power, the speed. He's hitting for a reasonable average. Um, he's actually, you know, he he might be like the opposite of Seager. Is like you might want to cash in on him while you can.
2: Yeah, as a matter of fact, he falls into this very interesting group of guys. Jazz Chisholm being another. I know he's on the injured list now, but uh, up to this point of giving you very good power that's actually underrated, excellent speed, and very good defense. And the defense is I constantly you know talk up. Locks yeah. in the role. It gets you playing time. That that's is right. something that's critical. And especially on the Rangers, they're going to give him everyday play as the three or four hitter. When that's the case, Garcia is like that. He's really going to hurt you in terms of, as you said, on base percentage, not a great guy to have in points leagues, but on the whole, he surprised me. I, I was wrong on him this season. He's actually been better than I expected.
1: Yeah. He, and I have him in tout. So uh that's an OBP league. So his value is a little lower there, but at seven bucks, you know, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's any earnings calculator will tell you you've already made more than that already, and you, you know, so you it's a huge profit already. I mean, the power and speed combination has been so useful. But uh, he he might be a trade away. Who else is a trade net na- away now, guy? Um, like I know I I didn't get a chance I uh, like. You know,
2: yeah, I'm trying to think of a guy who's not necessarily on the column. I mean, we're we're the 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 big name I put on there was Wilson Contreras just because I I feel like he's gotten a big amount of playing time in Chicago that I don't see being present elsewhere. That's one thing to keep in mind. I feel like some of the players on the trade market are the ones that I think are going to get a little bit overrated and therefore end up being, you know, right. Future you might future
1: want. Yankee Wilson Contreras.
2: <laughs> I could see that. Yeah, I could. You know, the Yanks yeah. could use an extra catcher. Granted, Jose Trevino has been very good for them. That's been one of the sneakiest pickups they've made for the year.
0: Yeah. Uh,
2: but fantasy-wise, doesn't do an awful lot. And he's also a good player to partner with a player like Contreras. You can kind of give Contreras a little bit more time off. And that was a little bit of the crux of the argument on the column for trading Contreras is that I think I can piece together catcher in an ESPN league. This is another yeah. thing, too, is ESPN's leagues only use one catchers. I've, I've watched other leagues migrate to one catcher in an extra utility spot. Um, those leagues, <laughs> Contreras isn't quite as appealing because sure. you can piece this position together. Um, I just I just don't see him maintaining this plate appearance
1: projection. I agree. I pace, agree. pace. I pace. think I honestly think that they're trying to show him off for a trade because
2: mm-hmm. I don't
1: I mean they haven't signed him yet. There hasn't really been any rumblings of them doing that, and they're they're gonna get something for him. So I think it's very likely he gets dealt too. Mm-hmm. Um speaking of league structure again, I mean you that move to like, a lot of ESPN leagues are one catcher is that in your opinion is that the way we should go
2: if it's an A or an NL only i am kind of there yeah um and you and i have talked a lot about catchers over the years about mm-hmm. whether one or two makes sense and you know i'm I, I the guy who wants to go cheap piece it together i i haven't been able to do that in 4 or 5 years i've begun paying up for catchers and i'm finding that i regret doing it and i'm just not enjoying having to find that player who fills in for my injured second guy week after week Mm -hmm. it's just not fun it detracts from the enjoyment of the league and that is important to me for fantasy play i feel like if you're in a deeper league anything that's bigger than 15 team or if you're in an al or an nl that's at least 10 and i'd argue the 12 teams for sure yeah consider shifting that to utility I'm in a nine team NL only and a nine team AL only. And there, there are enough catchers to fill the pool. We could get two catchers in those. Right. But if it's 12 teams, a little bit less so.
1: Yeah. I mean, you're an NL tout. I'm an AL tout. And I look at that waiver wire and all I see are part-time catchers that are all terrible. Mm -hmm. Uh, It just, you know, there, there has been some catchers that have emerged this year. William Contreras being one of them. Uh, You know, there's been a couple others that you have been able to pick up, but. All in, by and large, it's been ugly. It's been really ugly this year, uh, getting production from the position. So I, I get it for sure. Uh, Star Platinum has another uh, league structure question: Otani the pitcher, Otani the hitter. What what's your ideal league structure with Shohei Otani?
2: I'll be honest with you at this point with the designated hitter part of the game in both leagues. Mm-hmm. I think we've reached the point that we should credit hitters for all contributions. I and agree. I am hoping that scoring, you know, that, uh, that league hosts will consider programming that into the game. We don't see enough instances of pitchers hitting who aren't Otani that matter, that detract from your stats. That was one of the big no's I had towards counting pitching. People would ask us about Madison Bumgarner, whether we should get his stats. And I said, well, you don't want to take the, you know, Al Leiter like .030 batting average in exchange for it. But now I think we should. I think that Otani should be one player, but we should get both stats. The only problem with that, and Jeff, I'm curious, your take on this one is if he's anything like he was last year and what he was in June, he could give you the Wayne Gretzky-like ex- uh, advantage from the 80s, from fantasy hockey, where he's yeah. so much better than the field, especially in a points league, that you have to make an accommodation in the draft.
1: Yeah, <laughs> and I... You know, I I always use Tiger Woods as my go to that I've been in a golf league for 25 years and we had to break Tiger into April Tiger, May Tiger, March Tiger in our auction uh, just to get the pure value because out of a hundred dollar budget, the the monthly Tigers would all add up to about 165. So, you know, it turns out that that's what his true value was worth. Uh, So I get that argument. Same time. I mean, he is such a unicorn. I mean, he really is that valuable. Shouldn't, I mean, shouldn't he be valued as such? I mean, shouldn't we find a way? And I'd like to see at least, at least see it happen. Let him see, let him lay waste to a league or two. And let's see someone bid $60 on him in an AL only league. Let's see that. We'll, we'll really put it, let's put it to the test. I'd, I'd like to see it. I'd, I'd, I, and you know, I, I'd, I'd much rather see that than the current tout wars rule, which is Otani, the pitcher, Otani, the hitter. Or the NFBC rule or ESPN rule or wherever, where you have to decide each week. Um, mm-hmm. I'd like him. I want the fairy tale.
2: I want it all. Um, yeah. and, in, and in ESPN, where, you, it's, where it's the daily transaction, we can maximize Otani in a way sure. that others can't. And then I'm constantly in debate with people about Otani is really, really valuable. You don't realize it. Well, I'm talking about that context. We need something that's a little bit more universal. I I agree with you. Yeah. The other, by the way, Jeff, you mentioned paying the sixty for for Otani. If you're an, I think it matters whether you're in a draft format versus a, uh, an auction.
1: Yeah, because or if you salary draw the capper one, it's a it's a cheat code. Yeah. But you know, he's been hurt as a pitcher before. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, it you know, it it no things are guaranteed. You yep. know, ask Mike Trout. Ask anybody who's yeah. had Mike Trout the last two years. Um, far as the MVP goes. You know, the, the 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 betting markets are pretty robust as far as it goes. And you obviously, you're a Yankees guy, and Judge is making a pretty darn good case. He's still the betting leader, but that gap has narrowed. Every time when Tani pitches and has a double-digit strikeout game, that gap narrows a little bit more. Last year, Vlad Guerrero nearly had a triple crown and still lost to him. I, I think it's interesting to see where it's going to go this year.
2: Yeah, I I think this is going to be a very compelling race. Uh, it's very difficult to argue against Otani based on what he's doing. If he keeps up the, as I said, the June pace, he's going to be within the ballpark of last year's numbers. I, I couldn't even begin to make a case for anybody other than Otani for the MVP last season, just because this is such a unique example in mm-hmm. the history of the game. When you're talking about setting history in a way that we haven't seen in what what has it been a hundred and gosh, it's been a hundred and sixty years almost. That, yeah. that tells you something. Uh, but Judge Judge is playing like an MVP so far. If you had to give a vote today, Judge is the MVP. The one I want to watch is, do the writers get into the uh, player in their team con- context discussion? So, for example, right. Cleveland yeah. Guardians win the Central by five, six games, let's say, and the only really good player they have on offense is Jose Ramirez, who finishes strong. Does that push him ahead of Aaron Judge, who might have superior numbers? That wouldn't shock me.
1: Yeah. Um I and I think that, you know, I was even gonna say the difference between this year and last year is the Yankees are, you know, a parsec ahead of everybody else, whereas Vlad Guerrero didn't even make the playoffs. So there was easier to vote for Atani then. There's those two players that didn't make the playoffs. So if you wanted, you know, because you're gonna get this whole what is value dissertation yet again. Um and, hey, he didn't even lift his team to the playoffs. Well, it's not his fault that he's, he's not the GM. Do you want him to be the GM, too, as well as a pitcher and a hitter? I mean, that'd be really the real triple threat. But, um, no, I, I, I think that's the, the other difference, too, is, you know, Judge is the best player on the best team in baseball, and it's not even close. Uh, yeah. We didn't have that last year. Uh, so that, that, that might be the other difference, too. So, again, still half a season left. Lots can change.
2: And it's going to be a heck of a summer with the judge story between that and the Yankees going for what could be one of the historically best records. And then I heard he's a free agent after the year somewhere. Someone was talking about that. Yeah. Yeah. But can he play in Toronto? Oh, yes, he can. (laughs) You know what? You know what it is in New York? It's all talk about. Is he going (laughs) to cross the river and go play for the Mets? (laughs) Yeah.
1: Well, here's the thing. It's not like the Steinbrenners don't have money. It's not like the Yankees couldn't afford them. I mean, if the Mets want to play big city ball and they they pay up, I mean, the Yankees can play that game and instead of just pot, you know, and they've been very hyper-conscious of the uh, luxury taxes uh, framework for a long time. If Cohen's going to blast through that, I think they have to come along for the
2: ride. They're the Yankees. There's absolutely no question about it. And I've, I you, you know, being a Yankee fan, all of my friends come to me for, "Oh, what's going on with that? What do you think about this?" My big thing on that is Judge has the personality and character that is often absent from players in a situation like this. Mm-hmm. You can't afford to let that go. That brings additional value above the play. I mean, yeah. you know, what are you going to do? Get rid of the Judge's chambers and right field? I mean, no, that's that's not going to work with the fans, I'm telling you. <laughs> what does Casey Close
1: think? We should ask him. Uh but- not tell him the latest <laughs> offer by the Yankees. Oh, my gosh.
2: What a, what a story. I know. What a crazy story. Unbelievable. Yep. I, and I, 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 that that killed me watching Freddie Freeman leave the Braves. I, I know he loved playing there, and I, I thought he'd be a franchise lifer. It's it's a shame that that's the way it played out, and wow. Yeah. Well, <laughs> wow. The fact that he just found out
1: this weekend, when he mm. went there, that there was that offer that he never heard about. <sighs> I mean, yeah. and, and Dodgers fans were upset at first because it's like, well, are, is your heart really here? But how can you blame him? I mean, he just he found out he got betrayed, and then he talked it over to Clayton Kershaw, and they're all good on the team now. And he's, no, he is a Dodger, and that's not going to change. But wow, just just what an abdication of responsibility by the agent, just so he could get the the higher contract, the higher AAV, I guess. But and that blew up in his face too, by the way. Um, that he didn't get more money. It yeah. is. About the same, so that's wild. It's just wild that something like that can happen in this day and age.
2: Yep, hoping it doesn't happen again this come this off season. But that's mm-hmm. just, that's the fan of me speaking. I rarely get to to bring that out. Yeah, <laughs> huge, well, hey, I'm a huge Aaron Judge fan. There's, you know my son shares his first name and he's, it's, he's, he's a huge fan of him. So, you know, I don't want to see him go. <laughs> right. Exactly. And if he goes to
1: the Mets or the Red Sox or something like that, he won't go to the Red Sox. I'm pretty sure, but
2: Hey, the he Bernie did. Williams thing that almost happened in Boston. Mm-hmm. Yeah, You yeah. can never rule the Red Sox out of any big name player either.
1: Yeah. The revenge of Jacoby Ellsbury. That's it. Uh, but uh, you know, and cause that worked out so well for the Yankees, but uh, yeah. you know, Unless unless you're leading the league in uh, catcher interference, in which case then you're fine. But uh, that's a category, I'm sure. A um, couple other things uh, I want to talk about: uh, Ronald Acuna uh, out again right now, uh, and looks like he's going to avoid the IL. But at the same time, this is he's having a couple flare ups here and there. He's been went on the field. He's been awesome. I, I have to raise. I have to take that L on him because I didn't think he was going to run this year. He is running but he's not completely out of the woods either with all this stuff. It seems like
2: he's not. And being a foot injury, we immediately go back to, Hey, it's another leg foot related thing. And is that mm-hmm. going to hamper him on the base path? So I, I wouldn't be surprised to see him over the next week or so, or heading into the all-star break to take it a little bit easier. I mean, geez, he's attempted 17 steals so far this season. Yeah. <laughs> Incredible. Oh, uh, uh interestingly enough in the the, the first pitch florida <coughs> discussion for i think it was labor and l ariel cohen and i did that and we were talking extensively about acuna and running on the base pads and ariel was dead on he thought he was going to run as aggressively as he is so yep. kudos to him on that um I, w- I went all in on uh acuna and tal just because i i did believe he was going to come back actually sooner than he did. Mm -hmm. And I thought that he would put up good numbers. And in our discussion, I thought about it. I realized that the second half Acuna does tend to turn things up in that category in particular. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm choosing to be the optimist now, but fingers tightly crossed that he does indeed come back this weekend as is currently projected and that we only see him take a couple of days easy on the base pads.
1: Yeah, I think you might. And I've been wrong all along in being pessimistic, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I mean, I don't have him anywhere this year. Uh, I thought it, I thought where he was going and snake drafts Mm -hmm. and auctions was too, too high or too expensive. And I've been wrong. I've been wrong about that one there. One of many things. Air Erickson, like 75 this year.
2: Off the top of your head, you're throwing, go back in time to an NL tout. What do you think his true value would have been? What do you think you would have paid for him in a tout NL draft coming into this season, knowing what you knew?
1: And since I don't know what he actually went for, it's it's even better. Yeah. Uh, Even though I was moderating that draft, I forget. Um, So long ago. What I know now, 38 to 40.
2: Yeah. And he went for a few beneath that. He was 36, I think it was. Yeah. But my take was, I I wasn't going to push 40 plus. But mm-hmm. if he hovered in the thirties as he did, that was the one league in which I thought his price was pretty fair. I actually thought in labor NL he was too. I think he, he hovered around 37, 38.
1: Yeah. And, and labor NL was, I mean, all the layers of complications there, that was before the lockout even ended. Yep. Um, and we had the, 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 the 10 that could not be taken and we'd have a special fab just for that. Steve Garner did a, it was a very inventive solution by Steve. Um, Yeah. A lot, a lot of funny stuff there, uh, but uh, that we had to do in in all that. I'm just looking forward to a normal off season. I'm looking forward to a regular season. We haven't
2: had that in a long time. Yeah. It's now been three years since we've seen that. I can't term this one a a standard season. That's something we got to remember is that (laughs) 2020, 2021 and 22 have all been affected in some way Mm -hmm. by this, that, or whatever. And I am going to enjoy knowing that we can go into next season smoothly, cleanly, and, fingers crossed, knock on wood, whatever other luck things you are. Cause you know, I'm a big superstitious guy that we all get to draft live and get to see each other. Right. That's the other thing, like I want, I want us to get back to normalcy for our game. I mean, you, yeah. you, you know, I've said it in this in our show today, like I, I think that the gameplay has become increasingly important. We need to just enjoy ourselves.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, that's why we did this in the first place. Mm-hmm. It's how, it's how this industry got big, how it became an industry. Yeah. Uh, you know, when we started doing two, you know, you said you started writing in 2001. Um, yeah, it, it's it's a whole different ball of wax. I mean, you know, internet is on handheld devices now. What? Yeah, crazy. I still uh, remember
2: driving to the Tout Wars draft at Steve Moyer's house, getting horribly lost on the way, and there's no cell phones then. It's like if you get lost, oh, it's all over. You
1: know? Yeah, that's you know what's funny is that's the only Tout Wars I missed. That was the year I got married. Oh wow. And it was also the year that Broadband Sports, which bought us back in the day, they went out of business in February that year. Um, so I actually, I got married in 2002. So it wasn't the wedding. I can't blame the wedding. The wedding was in August. Anyhow, what am I talking about? It's 2001 that I missed. Uh, and it was because Broadband went under. That's why so, I missed Tout
2: Wars. So you're the same year as me with the uh, wedding anniversary that I guess. Yeah, this <laughs> is 20, 20 this years.
1: year. Yep, yep. Same here. <laughs> yeah. We better both remember, remember. that part right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very important. We'll close with a question from Joel Henard: asks Biggest draft make mistake you, you made this season? Who is it? Uh, it can be positive or negative. I mean, I, I was aggressively wrong on Acuna. That could count. Um, especially, cause, yeah, I'm going to say that because it's not just a draft mistake. I went on Sirius XM Fantasy and they made a sound clip, you know, it did a sound clip for me saying, He's going way too high. He's not going to run this year. And they play that out as a little clip and everything. They highlighted that from that today's show. It was like hot take and everything, you know, because I'm all about hot takes. Uh, so that has to be it for me. That it, Acuna was my biggest L.
2: Alcantara is probably mine because I knew better and I knew his value volume wise in the points league I'm in. And mm-hmm. I gravitate to that first. It's my biggest league. Most jelly beans or whatever you want to call it league, uh most competitive, largest, etc. And it's a huge event that we we draft for that. And I knew darn well going in. And the worst part is I let a guy who I knew was having an amazing draft during the course of it have him. And oh, I no. spent on I spent on other players initially. I got Garrett Cole. Yeah, so I'm pretty happy there. But I paid a lot more than my competition paid for Alcantara. Uh, I also let Aaron Judge go in that he was another yeah. player when at a pretty good price and I knew he was going to have a solid year and it, that was yeah. a mistake just being too conservative same and the funny thing
1: is I had a pretty good if you use like our, our just I, I did the projection we used our valuation tool and he'd always track higher than well higher than ADP but did you see me drafting at that price no I didn't I didn't trust my own projection that's terrible
2: I have no judge this year and I, but, I went and I debated Alcantara myself to multiple people and then just let him go. And too many drafts. I should have gotten a universal, universal yeah. shares of them.
1: Oh, and I can top the the, the Aaron Judge uh, stories of woe, uh, though. In a score sheet league, after his rookie season, when he struck out roughly 87% of the time, I might be exaggerating by half, but um, I, tr- I, I, I uh, traded away Aaron Judge. And an ale only score sheet league is the last chance to go for him. Like, uh, he's not that great of a prospect for the last year of Jose Bautista, basically. Oh. And you know, that's the gift that keeps on giving. Cause that, I mean, to the, you know, you keep a guy forever in score sheet. Uh, it's just, ah, uh, terrible. Did
2: Bautista help you? Were you competitive that year? Did you win?
1: I did not win. Oh. I was competitive, but I yeah. did not win.
2: That's what it's. What hurts is I've done that and given up the prospect the first one I could think of was the Justin Upton one. And you know me with Justin Upton. I've, yeah. <laughs> I was a huge fan of his right, trading right. him for a championship was worth it. There are other times where I'm trying to forget that that ever happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. We all have our own Jordan Alvarez uh, uh, for uh, Josh Fields trade out there. That's the lesson here. We've all made it. You play long enough and you're going to make a mistake. But you know what? You've also made a lot of good trades. You a lot of made a good decisions. You keep churning the decisions. That's what, you know, if you're, you're a skill player, you know, volume of decisions matter. So don't be afraid to make that mistake. Even though we made some Nate enumerated some whoppers here that we, we totally regret, but uh, it'll happen. Uh, That's going to wrap it up for today's show. Tristan, thank you so much for jumping on with me today. It was a blast catching up. Uh, I love doing this with you. Thanks for joining us.
2: It's my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's great to see you.
1: All right. Uh, Go check out Tristan's Forecaster. He writes it every Friday on ESPN. Um, And of course, check him out on Twitter and and on all the ESPN properties. You can follow him at Sultan of Stat. Uh, We got tomorrow, we got two star starters with Todd and Clay. Thanks for listening to RotoWire. Have a great day.
3: Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about.